0: This morning's scripture is taken from Romans, it's page 1749 in your Bible if you wish to follow along. Romans 2, 17 to 29. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others? Do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, Do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor of circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God.
1: Thank you, Dave. And we're in a sermon series on Romans, we've come to this chapter, and for those of you who are guests, there is an outline in the bulletin, if you can find it in there somewhere, and uh, you are free to follow that if it's helpful for you. The first year after I graduated from seminary, and Sue was finishing her graduate work, I did a 12-month student chaplain residency in a medical center in Chicago. I was assigned to the oncology unit to provide spiritual care for those suffering with cancer. And because it was a teaching hospital, the oncology doctors had medical students who came with them and made rounds in the hospital to learn from the patients and their conditions. And as a student chaplain, I was included on that team. And one day we visited a patient a middle-aged woman who had cancer. And all of us were stunned when the doctor pulled back the bedsheets and exposed cancerous tumors that had literally broken through the skin and were openly visible. He took out an instrument and he measured the tumors. We had some conversation with the patient and the daughters. And then we left the room, and and when we did, he pulled us aside in the hallway, and he explained to us that this woman had been diagnosed with cancer months, months before, but she denied it. And she did nothing about it until the cancer literally grew out of her body, and she could see it. And when she finally accepted reality and came for treatment, it was too late. Too late to do anything. I remember feeling sad and shocked at how anyone could be in such deadly denial. Now I share this story this morning as an illustration of the diagnosis that the Apostle Paul is making in his introductory letter to Christian believers in the city of Rome in 57 A.D. After he introduces himself and the purpose of his letter, he begins building this case like a prosecutor in a courtroom that human beings are guilty, guilty of rebellion and idolatry and sin before a holy God. We have seen how he unfolds categories of sinners. In chapter 1, he describes the rebellious sinner. The rebellious sinner is one who just arrogantly rejects the creator and and dismisses his design for creation. Who exchanges the truth of God for a lie. And God then gives them over to a depraved mind. Last time we saw in chapter 2 how Paul describes the respectable sinner. The respectable sinner is the person who sees themselves as morally superior to those rebellious sinners and believes in their self-righteousness. This is the good moral person who respects the law is a good citizen, helps others, believes that all you got to do is just do your best and I'll be acceptable to God. Today, Paul takes on The religious sinner. The religious sinner is the hardest person to reach with the gospel. Religion is trying to work our way to heaven. Religion is trusting religion to save us. It is the human being's best attempt to be right with God, to be righteous with the Creator. Why does Paul keep hammering away at this theme of sin? I mean, you would think in writing a letter to people he doesn't even know, he'd be more positive that he would start with good news and maybe even a little humor. But friends, just like the woman with cancer in the opening story, human beings you and me are experts at denying the cancer of sin in our souls in our pride we deny it we resist it we cover it up we redefine it we justify it to ourselves we blame our circumstances we blame other people we blame our genetics and Paul knows under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how strong and deadly destructive is our denial of sin and guilt in our lives. Friends, sin is not just imperfection, sin is a deep aversion to God a deep rebellion against him. And Paul knows that he has to make a case for this painful diagnosis to expose that sin so that we can understand the grace of God. The good news is not going to make any sense without the bad news. If we just think, well, I'm just just imperfect, I have some flaws, then the cross of Jesus Christ is meaningless. Our experience of God's grace will be shallow because we have a shallow understanding of our sin. And what Paul wants to do today is challenge us with the temptation of using religion to overcome sin and be right with God. So let's look first at what we mean by religion. What are the characteristics of religion as he unfolds it in verses 17 through 20? The religious person relies on rules and regulations. Verse 17, he says, if you rely on the law. Now by the law, he means the first five books of the Old Testament. And that, of course, includes the Ten Commandments. And the pinnacle of the law is the Ten Commandments. Religion is the belief that if we follow these rules, follow these commands, practice certain rituals, God will accept us, we'll be okay with God, we'll we'll enter into heaven. What it's doing is trying to work and earn God's love and God's favor. We try to earn with self-effort our rightness with God. And Christians fall into this trap all the time. We want to follow all the rules and all the commands, thinking, well, this is what's going to make me righteous. Another characteristic is believing In religion, it's to boast that you have a special status with God. Verse 17, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law and you brag about your relationship with God. Sometimes the most prideful people are religious people. The Jews feel because they're the chosen people and God has given them the law and given them the promises and given them the land that they have special status, that they are unique. And Christians do the same thing. My denominations the only group of true believers. Everybody else's is false. This is a trait of religion. Because my religion is right, then I'm have special status with God. But it's interesting, when you read and study the Bible, you find God often bypasses the religious institutions to communicate his love and his message. When Jesus is born, who does God go to to tell and announce this great advent? The religious priests, the religious scholars, No, he goes to the shepherds, the lowlife, the society. They're open. They're listening. Religious people also maintain high moral standards. And that's good. We ought to maintain high moral standards. We ought to be people of moral integrity. But here's the deal. Moral integrity does not get us to heaven. Religious people often have high moral standards. Paul says in verse 18, because you are instructed by the law, they had God's word and God's word says, be ethical, be moral, be just. But having Bible knowledge, being moral, does not translate into salvation. And that unfolds into another characteristic of religion as having a condescending attitude towards others. Again, religion thinks, well, I've got it, nobody else does. We're the guides, we're the teachers, we have the answers. Did God give his word and promises to the Jewish people so that they could be superior to everyone else? No. No. He gave them His promises and His Word to be missionaries in the world, to be light in the darkness. And the problem is they didn't do it. Instead of giving it away, they became more and more separated. And and they said, this is ours. This is just for us. And you had to be born into the Jewish race to count. And again, the church can do the same thing we can start feeling like we're just the protectors of God's truth. We're the owners of God's truth instead of giving it away, instead of sharing it with others. You see, what Paul is doing here is systematically tearing down every prop that religious people think they have as a passport to heaven. Religious people can be the hardest people to reach with the good news of Jesus. Verse 19, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark and an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of infants because you have the law, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? He's contrasting here. Pride and humility. Teachable and open people are humble people. Pride, the attitude that your religion can earn you to heaven is a roadblock to receiving the truth. Not only the truth about your sin and guilt, but the truth that you cannot earn your way to eternal life and that you need something more. And that brings us to our second point, the failure of religion. And simply stated, we can't get right with God by practicing religion because we can't meet the standard. We can't do it. We fall short. Friends, the standard that we have to meet is the holiness of God. Holiness that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and in the law of God. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and he had a vision. God transported him into heaven and into the presence of his throne. And Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, The train of his robe filled the temple and all the angels were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah has this magnificent, powerful vision of God. And what's his reaction? He says, woe is me. I am ruined, I am destroyed, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have looked upon the King, the Lord Almighty. When he comes up against the holy otherness and perfection of God, he's just crushed by his own sin. God's holy perfection is revealed in the law of the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments. And here's the deal. God did not intend for us to keep the Ten Commandments to earn salvation. He gave it for many reasons. One is that it is a design for life, but another reason for the law is to be a mirror. A mirror in which we can look and see the sinfulness of our sin. Galatians 3.19 says, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, the Savior, whom the promise referred, had come. Translated, that means God added the moral law. Remember, Abraham didn't have the law. Jacob didn't have the law. It came with Moses later. God added it to reveal to us with clarity that we sin and that we are sinners. And God had to do that because we overrate ourselves and we underrate our sin. Can you think of a time in your life when you overestimated yourself? On the job, uh, physically, at school? When I was doing the chaplain residency, Sue bought me a membership at the Des Plaines YMCA. I think she's trying to get me out of the house once in a while. And so I went, I was playing pickup games on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings. And then the Y started a league, and a bunch of us that had been playing decided, well, let's form a team. Let's join the league. And we, we called ourselves a Tuesday-Saturday group. We had T-shirts made up, TS, the TS group. And we were confident. We went into that league thinking, we're going to do well. Maybe we'll even win it. We decided that... Tuesday and Saturday was too wimpy of a name. We said we're tough and strong. That's what TNS stands for. And after losing the first 13 games, (laughs) somebody asked us, What does TNS stand for? One of the guys said, Tired and stinky. (laughs) We overestimated ourselves. And we were tired and that's what happens when you're trying to earn salvation you get tired it wears you out many vastly overrate how good we are in the eyes of god paul says in verse 24 as it is written god's name is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you you see those who trust in living a religious life to be right with god can't do it. They can't do it. And so they dishonor God with their hypocrisy. Paul says to the Jews, you claim to be teachers and structures and guides, but you're actually turning people away from the Lord because of your inconsistency and your condescending attitude. You see, church, let me say it like this. It's in your bulletin. It's not our duty. It's not our goal to make people religious it's our duty to share jesus with them to tell them about christ and in that process never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer until he or she becomes one christians are not meant to be judgmental moral policemen we are our voices to share about Jesus, we're pointers to the Christ. And Paul is making the case here. Paul is making the case that God is just in his judgments. He's justified in bringing judgment upon human beings because he created them, he created them in his image and he gives gives them gifts and a calling to, to manage this earth and he's going to hold us accountable and he's justified in doing so. And that brings us finally to the third point and the hint of an alternative to religion. An alternative to religion in verses 25 through 29. Paul here talks about circumcision, which is the practice or ritual that identifies Jewish males with the religion of Judaism. Circumcision symbolizes a relationship to God. It's the wedding ring of Judaism, just like baptism is for the Christian. But Paul says it's worthless unless there is faith behind it. And that's a danger with baptism and other rituals if we start to depend on those things to make us right with God. People assume all the time, well, I've been baptized, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. The Bible says no. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. Asher and James' baptisms will only become meaningful to them when they have a personal faith in what baptism points to look again at verses 28 and 29 a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision merely outward and physical no a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code Circle the words inwardly, of the heart, by the spirit. Paul is saying what we need is an inward spiritual transformation, not outward rituals. Religion cannot provide us forgiveness of our sins. Religion, listen to this, especially, cannot break the power of sin in our lives. Religion has never saved anybody. Protestant, Catholic, Pentecostal, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, Mormon. See, Paul here is inching closer to the ultimate point that he wants to make that we are broken sinners who need a power outside of ourselves to come in and save us. Let's close with a couple of questions. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What are you counting on to be right, to be righteous with your Creator, a holy God? creator. Are you trusting in your background, your heritage, your family name, being a member of a church, being baptized? You see, Paul is systematically tearing down all of these things and saying, that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship that will change you. And that's one of the reasons people... Like religion. It it doesn't change you. It doesn't come in and, and start tearing things up. We're talking about a relationship that comes through Jesus Christ and receiving Him into your life by faith. As the Apostle John tells us, or John says in John 1 But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, or received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. That's where this is all going. And you can start that relationship anytime. You can open your heart to Jesus and place your faith in Him and receive Him into your life. Ultimately, Christianity is not a religion. It's a restored relationship, a life-changing relationship of faith in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you wake us up this morning Would you wake us up to your holiness, your awesome perfection and otherness, and thus to your glory, and awaken us to our rebellious, idolatrous natures and how we want to be God, and we want to be in control. And we want to define what is right and wrong and what the path should be. Expose to us our sin and what it really is. And bring us to the cross. Bring us to the Savior who took it all on Himself so that we could be forgiven and adopted and transformed and filled with Your Spirit. Be glorified in your salvation, in your gospel, in Jesus' name. Amen.